And who knows what I'm going to preach this morning? About Jesus, yes, that's right. Yes, I, I don't know anything else to preach but Jesus. The life of ministry of Jesus Christ, part 94. Who said 94? You. Oh, you're a good listener. 94, hallelujah. I'm amazed by, by myself. I'm amazed by myself that there's so much to preach about Jesus and I haven't preached everything as yet. There's all this new thing. And I, I want to preach this morning on a uh, scripture. It's only been found in Matthew. So, not every parable, not every uh, scripture is also found in, in other um, Gospels. But I want to speak on something what we call in German Matthew's Sondergut. That means Matthew's special thing. So, who knows? Uh, all the other things, mainly you can read also in the other Gospels. But there's something you don't read in, in the Gospel and this is Matthew chapter 21. The verses 28 to 32. Now, and the theme is this mor morning, repentance, the decisive factor. Repentance, the decisive factor. So we can go to church, we can hear all the things, we can read books about Jesus, and you might know all the, the great writers of uh, scriptural uh, themes and so on. But that doesn't help you. Repentance is the decisive factor. If here's this, anybody this morning and hasn't repented of his or her sins at all, you need to be repentant. You need to repent. That's what it is. And now, we want to find out something, what the Bible says there. And this is a word of Jesus. And let's read in Matthew 21, from verse 28. But what do you think a man had two sons? And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered and said, I will, sir. And he did not go. And he came to the second and said the same thing. But he answered and said, I will not. Yet afterwards, there was a process going on in his heart of this other son. Afterwards, he regretted and he went. And now Jesus has a question. And the question is, which of these two sons did the will of the father? They said, the latter. But didn't he say he doesn't want to go? Yes. And didn't the first son say, yes sir, I want to go? What's the difference between these two? And Jesus asked him and said, well, what do you reckon? Who did actually the will of the Father? They said a letter. And that's important. Jesus made it very clear. Only those who do the will of the Father will enter the kingdom of God. Amen? Only do those who do not know about the will of the Father. Only those who do the will of the Father. And then Jesus continues on the other side of my Bible. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax gatherers and harlots did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards, so as to believe him. Do you understand the whole scripture? 
a very important scripture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit and through your Holy Spirit, you might inspire me, Lord Jesus, that I might preach the things and speak the things important for everybody this morning here in this church. I thank you, Lord. And I pray, give grace to speak your precious word. Give grace to listen to your word. And also, I pray, give grace to act upon your precious word. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Now, this parable is actually a a continuation of the quest for authority we read before. And Jesus did all these things and he cleansed the temple and chucked out the, the tables of the money changers and the money was rolling through the temple. Perhaps Jesus played soccer with it and flipped it out. It doesn't belong here. My house should be a what? A house of prayer. And last time I explained to you the difference. When he was a boy, he spoke of the temple of my father's house. But when he was in a ministry, and it shows that he is God, my house, my house shall be a house of prayer. Now Jesus here, he wants to tell them something very important. And I have to make a little bit of an explanation. I know in your Bible, if you have the King James Bible, there is a little bit differently. That means it says perhaps the first, the first son mentioned said no. And afterward he regretted. It's very important to understand the Greek New Testament from Ebert Nestle, he put it this way. And I decided this morning to preach on the Greek Nestle New Testament. Don't worry, I'm not preaching Greek. I can't do this. But I want to follow this. And my Bible, I've got the, the New American Standard Bible from 77. And... Um, It's being written that way. And I like it. Because there's something very interesting in it. And so, now first of all we see here, the yes-sayer was the first son. He was the yes-sayer and the no-or-not-doer. God is not looking for yes-sayer. He is for yes Doers. The second son, he said, no, I've got some other things. That's what I would say. No, 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 I'm not going. But then he thought, what did you say? What did you do? You said to your dad, no, I'm not going. The dad has done so much for you and you're not going to work for him in his vineyard. And afterwards, he had a change of mind. He regretted it. And change of mind, you can ask any Greek, he knows the Greek word. What is the change of mind? Metanoia. He had a change of mind. He repented and said, no, I will go, I will go. And he went. And that's what is important. And we want to learn something today about it. And I want to follow the Greek manuscript. This parable echoes many other stories and parables in the Bible. For instance, the story about the prodigal son. We call him in in English prodigal son. But I found out something. The German Bible speaks about the lost son. Prodigal means, refers more or less for the money he squandered. But he was lost and dead. That was his father said. He was lost and dead and now he has been found and he is alive again. Hallelujah. So, we see this story in two 
two sons again. One was lost but saved, and the other he was always in the house, and he was... What was he? A grumpy, yeah. Grumpy, you was grumpy. He was actually lost. And his father, so long this, many years I've been in your, in your house and you never made a, a meal with my friends and never ever invited them over. Son, everything is there. You could have done it. You could have done it. His attitude to his father was not changed, but the attitude of the lost son, so-called prodigal son, was changed. Hallelujah. And that's what God wants us, that our attitude towards him might be changed, and that comes through repentance, metanoia. And that's what the Bible speaks about. And Jesus said to you very clearly, and listen to the text I have been reading. Now there are some other parables. And we see always these two things. Somebody who was perhaps close to God and thought he is close to God, and the other is far away. And the one who was so far away is the one who was the first in the kingdom of God. Can you understand it? Can you understand it? Jesus said and spoke about, there were two men, they went into the temple. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. And uh, the Pharisee, he took the right pose, stood there, and then I thank you, God, that I'm not as all the others, like the whores, and oh, like the harlots and, and fornicators and all that. I thank you. And that even I'm not as bad as the one next to me. You know him behind the pillar there. You have seen him. I thank you, God. And the other man, he beat his chest and God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says something. Now, who of this went home justified? It was the sinner. Hallelujah. God wants to save sinners. We see this story again and again, over and over again, these parables have been mirrored again. And then, this parable represents actually the religious leaders and the greatest and most horrible and worst sinners in those days that were the tax collectors and the prostitutes. There was no sin worse in the eyes of the Pharisees, then tax collector or prostitution. And Jesus said, now I tell you what, these are the ones who would go first into the kingdom of God. And let's understand. The yes say and the not do the Pharisees where Yeshayas, the first son, represents the leaders of the Jews in verse 29. If were mainly the Pharisees, the outward appearing was they are serving God. And if you want to see somebody serving God in Israel, you should walk through the streets of Jerusalem then. Because almost in every corner you could see somebody praying. You must say, oh, isn't it wonderful what a religious nation is Israel? Almost on every corner. And Jesus said, they like to do it. That was their kind of outreach. They were standing in the corner and praying. And people saw them. And they went very, very quietly and passed by. Because he's praying, he's talking to God. And the Pharisees were those who took the things with God and their religion very seriously. They were the so-called 
back to the Bible movement of our days. And I thank God, God has given some movements even in our days. There's a movement where people go back to the Bible and say, let's preach the Bible, the Word of God. Now, what was the righteousness of the Pharisees? Did you know the name Pharisee, what it meant? It mean, uh, means they set apart ones. So they were not just religious people. They were set apart. They were set apart. And that's interesting. In other words, they took the word of God and the law very serious. They kept themselves apart from the Hellenistic rational Sadducees who didn't believe in miracles and said, well, we have nothing to do with them because we want to do the will of God. The Pharisees were painstakingly following the law of Moses. And the Apostle Paul, he was a former Pharisee. And he shows us a little bit when he was on the defense before King Agrippa and we read it in Acts chapter 26 verse 5. If you have your Bible, get it. I'm going to wait a little bit. I want to listen to my wife. She said it once or twice, or a few times to me. Um, well, you have to give the people a little bit of time that they can look up the Bible. I want to do it now. Acts 26 verse 5. Everybody got it? Since they have known about me, for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. That's what he said. There are actually people that were Pharisees too. And they knew me from them. And they could confirm that I was a very strict Pharisee. Because they knew me for many, many years. And at the time of Jesus, the Pharisees, were the main spiritual leaders in Israel and of the people. They were the elite pious group. Oh, if you want to know something about God, and you could inquire with the Pharisees, and they would tell you everything. But their deeds were poisoned with their own strength. They tried to serve God with their own strength, and they did everything. And they made the law sometimes so hard, it was even too hard for themselves. They said, no, we have to be very clear. It has to be clear. And yet, they were serving God from their own strength, and that was a poison in their life. Ezekiel 36, 26. I'm going to wait a little bit, because you have to go back into the Old Testament, you know. You know, the book... Ezekiel, yes, 36, and it speaks of this. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, these Pharisees didn't serve God with a new heart. They were doing everything in their own strength. And the other thing the Bible says, they were teaching precepts of man. And Jesus said it very clearly. In Matthew 15 verse 9. So I should have given you the, the scriptures before, my, liber, my dear uh, Jerry. Then you would have seen it here on the, on the screen. And these things are very good, but also bad. Good for those who forget the Bible and bad for those who can't find it that quickly. Because we are not used to having rushing Bible leaves anymore. We didn't have this in my time. You had to go and, and you heard everybody, you know, rushing the Bible leaves. Okay, so if it's there, then we're going to read it. But in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrine 
the precepts of men. And they were very clever to, uh, to invent new precepts and new things to make it a little bit harder. They only thought, if it's hard to serve God, then it's right. And for instance, they had their own um, precept of man. On one hand, they tried to serve God and the law. And on the other hand, they tried to outsmart themselves. Because there was one law. And you heard and have written, I have uh, read many times, when the Bible speaks of a certain distance of a Sabbath way. Yes? You know what it means. There was a certain stretch about one kilometer. The Jews were allowed to go on a Sabbath. Anything further, one centimeter further, that was considered as walk or work already. So, and some were very smart. And it's right, well, we issued, of course, this, this law and a Sabbath way was known all over Israel. But they tried to outsmart themselves. You know what they invented? They invented, if they had to go and they want to visit somebody, and it was a little bit more than one kilometer, and they were not allowed to go a centimeter further than only one kilometer. And somebody had a smart idea. And they invented some so-called water bags. And they did take a water, fill it with water, place it on the donkey's back, and sit on it. And then they could say, well, I was sitting on water. I, I was traveling on water. And that does not affect that one kilometer. Smart. In one way, they made harder laws and they found already also a solution to outsmart themselves. Isn't it great? They wanted to do the will of God, but they did not do the will of God. And they said yes to God. In other words, uh, yes, Lord, we are the ones who want to go into the vineyard. We want to serve you. We want to live for you. And Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 2 and 3, what it did actually. And he said here, okay, have you got it there on the overhead? I'm not yet. Okay, Matthew 23, 2 and 3. The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves where? Where? In the chair of Moses. Therefore, all they tell you, do and observe. Jesus said, what he's saying is not wrong. It's a wrong. Do it. Do it. But they do not, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. You understand it? They had great ideas, but they didn't do it. Now, I want to come now to the no-sayer, but repentive yes-doer. The second son represents the greatest sinners. They had the no attitudes toward God. And that were, first of all, the tax collectors. And if anybody pointed to people who are wrong and who are sinful, tax collectors. And the harlots, the Bible says, or prostitutes in our language. Now, the tax collectors were rejected by all the Pharisees because. Two things. They were working for Rome. And in other words, they were working against us. And they're going to take the text and they 
give it to Rome. Another thing also, they constantly defiled themselves. They were collaborating with the enemy. They defiled themselves. We don't want to have to do anything. And these, these text collectors or text gatherers, as my Bible says, they were actually rejected by everybody. They ripped off their own people. And these people, the tax collectors and prostitutes, these were the two worst kind of people in the eyes of a Jew, in the eyes of a Pharisee. And did you know, Jesus asked the question before, and the question was, was this, now you tell me, was the baptism of John? Was it from heaven, from God, or from man? And they didn't give him a clear answer, did they? They knew John was from heaven. And if you say he was from heaven, from God, then Jesus would say, why, why didn't you go there? And if you say from man, then all the people are against us. Because everybody believed and was convinced John the Baptist is a man of God. And we find here, and some text gatherers also came to, the, to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you have been ordered to. Now these tax collectors came to John the Baptist and John the Baptist didn't baptize anyone unless he or she repented and confessed their sins. You can read it. Yes, that's what he did. They came and confessed their sins. And obviously they might have confessed their sins when what should we do? Now, how should we keep going and working? He said, whoa, just don't take any more as you have been told to take. As you have been ordered to. Now, these text gatherers repented. The New Testament tells us about a few text gatherers, text collectors. Anybody know somebody? Matthew was one. And his former name was Levi. And he was sitting on his desk. And Jesus came by and said, Follow me. And Matthew got up. They got all the money. Let it be there. You know. And he followed Jesus. And then he invited Jesus and the whole crew. All the twelve disciples for a nice meal. And it wasn't by twelve. With him we were twelve. But all these guys came and he celebrated and he was happy that Jesus called him. And we read also there was a text collector or gatherer in Jericho who knows the story of this text collector in Jericho. His name was Zacchaeus. And I want to lead you this morning to a very interesting situation. In Luke 50 verse 9 says, I tell you, yet in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus says something here very clearly. There's joy in heaven if a sinner is repenting before God. Amen? There's joy. And so, Peter said something. And I, I found it very interesting. First Peter chapter 1 verse 12. And... It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 
Peter says there, have you there? In 1 Peter 1, 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you through the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And now listen. Things. What does the Bible say there? Things. Into which angels longed to look. Angels looked into it. They knew and they heard about and they knew that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And He went to the earth. He was born. And then He became the Messiah. And He is the Son of God. And their eyes were fixed on Jesus. And every step where Jesus went, I believe the angels were in charge of Jesus. And that's why Satan could say, well, you can let you down here from the, from the uh, tower. You can let you down because God has charged the angel over you that nothing happened to you. In other words, the angel looked constantly on Jesus. And when he was in Gethsemane, he was praying. He was praying and he could have gotten a legion of angels to defend him. Or when he was in the wilderness, as thinking Mark, it says, and after he went through the temptation, what do we read him? And angels came and what did they do? Ministered to him. So angels looked at Jesus at every moment. And Jesus said very clearly, there's joy in heaven amongst all the angels of God. There's joy in heaven for one sinner who repents before 99 righteous ones. And He said here, here are angels who look into it and they long to see what is going to, go, going to happen on earth with Jesus. And I could imagine one of the angels saw Jesus. This is not in the Bible. Allow me a little bit. Don't write it in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It's in my head, in my heart. And one of the angels said to Gabriel, Gabriel, come here. I want to show you something. Today we are going to witness Something marvelous. Gabriel came and looked down and the angel saw Jesus in Jericho. Surrounded by the many people. And there was one man. There was one man. Who was this? There was one man. He wanted to see Jesus. And he saw a little gap. And he was just about to go and slip through the gap but it was close. He went back. He couldn't come to Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. And he couldn't. And then he ran a little bit ahead. And there was a tree, a sycamore tree. He jumped on the tree and he waited for Jesus to come. But Jesus has spotted him long ago. Hallelujah. Jesus has spotted you Long ago, He knows everything of you. Some people say, and I hear it often from Christians, yeah, God looks at the heart. Is it true? God looks at the heart. Yes, that is true. I mean, in other words, it was said, don't judge me, please. Don't judge me. God knows my heart. He looks into my heart. Yes, He does. He does not only see your sincere desire. He also sees your sinfulness. That's what He sees. Don't say too quickly, Oh, God knows my heart. Don't say too quickly, He knows everything. 
He knows everything. And he saw here Zacchaeus. And Jesus came to the place. He has spotted him long ago. Jesus knew today I'm going to see a man, a tax collector, and he will come to see me. But he's a little fellow and he can't see me because people are in the way. And when Jesus came to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down because today I have to enter into your house. Zacchaeus came down and he ran home very quickly. And he said to his wife, her name called by Werner Schultz, Abigail. Abby, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And he's going to stay the night here. Can you prepare something for him? Is he alone? No, there are 12 other guys following him. Where should we put them in our house? Oh, no worries, you know. In our south wing of our villa, there we have 12 rooms. We will place them there. Don't you worry about it. Because he was what? Very rich, the Bible says. He was very rich. I don't have a place that, that big. They can all sleep there. We want to have them all. Okay, and do a good meal for Jesus and his disciples. And I learned something over and over again. If you invite Jesus into your heart, you invite your whole church into your heart. Do you understand it? Yes, because they all come with Jesus. All the disciples come with Jesus. Aha. That means you're no longer living your own. You're living for Jesus. And those who believe in Him, these are your brothers and sisters. Amen, amen, hallelujah. Can you understand it? That's the consequence if you are consequence if you believe in Jesus. Hallelujah. These are my brothers and sisters. Wonderful. And how are you, my sister, today? You know you're my sister, don't you? Yes, I know. Thank you. Hallelujah. They all belong to it. So, and Zacchaeus, he went to the great portal of a gate he had. He opened for Jesus and he stood there. He was just about to move in. And Zacchaeus said, Jesus, half of my possessions I've got here. Look around, and Jesus looked around and saw this mighty mansion. All this half of it, I will give away, I will sell it, and will give it to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, I give it four times back. What a change. What a change. And then Jesus said what? What? Somebody in this church prayed it one Sunday morning. The same what Jesus said here. Today, salvation has come to our house. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Hallelujah. Except you remember that? You remember that? You dear wife, she was sitting here then. And she was so rejoicing that you gave your life to the Lord at home. Salvation has come to our house. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Don't give anybody up. Jesus is still in the salvation business. Amen? Hallelujah! Hallelujah. And what happened then? 
I forgot all about Gabriel and the angel who witnessed all these things. There was joy in heaven for one sinner who repented. And the whole heaven was full of joy. Zacchaeus came to Jesus. He repented of his sin. And he is going to become a new man. Hallelujah. And Jesus said, these kind of people, these kind of people, go first into the kingdom of God. And he said it clearly. Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Now, God saved also prostitutes and this adulterous woman got saved. You know where it is? John 8, you're right. Do you read the Bible? That's why you know it is John 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. But I'm going to read from a little further here. From chapter 8, verse 4. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act, now in the, in the law of Moses command to be stoned such a wind, woman. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him in order that they might find or have some ground of accusation. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, but when they resisted and asked him, yeah, what, what would you do? That's what I said. I could imagine Jesus was writing, busy, writing something. Say, yeah, no, say something. What, should you, what, what would you do? And Jesus, and when they were persisting in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, people can hear when Jesus writes. Yes? And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one. Beginning with the older ones and he was left alone and a woman where she had been in the midst. And straightening up, Jesus said to a woman, Where are they? Did no one condemn you? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. No more sin. Now, you realize Jesus stooped down and wrote twice. I don't know what he wrote. Anybody knows what he wrote? No. But in heaven, I would perhaps ask him if I had forgotten but there's one thing God wrote with his finger. What was it? There was one thing God wrote with his finger. What was it? The Ten Commandments. Jesus was writing again the Ten Commandments. Perhaps this, the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. It was not a suggestion. It was a, a commandment. And then he stooped down for the second time. What might he have written there then? Jesus made a comment in Matthew chapter 5. You know, 
to the old has been said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I, what did Jesus say? But I, who is Jesus? Jesus, can you change the law? Yes, He's God. He changed the law. But I say, he who looks at a woman with lust and lust after her has already committed adultery in his heart. Maybe that's what Jesus was writing the second time. I don't know. I don't know. Now, how did they? I think about things sometimes. What do you think? How could they have found this lady? Picked just her and said, we have caught her. She got caught in the act of adultery. Imagine with me. The Pharisees, where did they like to stand for prayer? Of course, in the temple. But where did they prefer? Where? On the street corners. Yes, perhaps one of the one of the Pharisees he was just praying. And he was on his prayer. I think there was a prayer with with eighteen requests or thirty eight. A long prayer. He was praying. And everybody went around. And he was perhaps at the tenth or fifteenth request. I don't know. All of a sudden, he smells something beautiful, a wonderful perfume. This is, this is, this is ladies' perfume. But then he looked through his window of opportunity. He prayed perhaps the way we as children sometimes pray in prayer meetings in church. You know how they do? You know, you see everything. And then he saw a beautiful woman. He just smelled that beautiful perfume. And he saw her moving across the road into a house. And all of a sudden, he couldn't, he couldn't wait any longer. Who is this woman? He went perhaps under the window and listened what is going on there. And perhaps there was a conversation. He heard fragments. I love you or whatever. I don't know. And he moved the others who were standing on the other corners. They were all praying on the corners. Come over here. Come over here. Listen to this. Dangerous. And then all went in and got ya. But I asked myself, where was the man? Where was the man? Perhaps he was a guy like Samson. And he ran away. They didn't want to take a fight with him. Because they knew automatically they will, they will lose. But it took the woman on her hair, pulled her out. You have committed adultery and you have been caught. We bring you to Jesus. This woman was crying. She was crying. And one accusation after the other came and hurled on her. What do we do now? Jesus, I tell you what, Jesus can handle any beautiful woman without any wrong thought. Amen? Because He is holy. He is holy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. These guys, they looked her in the eyes and they had some kind of the, uh, of of feeling good now we got you and now we see you and she was crying and crying 
and Jesus after he has written two times. Woman, where are the accusers? They're all gone. They're all gone. Nobody condemned you? No. And Jesus said something beautiful. Neither will I condemn you. Hallelujah. Go in peace and sin no more. Jesus forgave for all her sins. And she was clean and was free. Now Jesus said it. You have seen all these things in verse 32. That religious establishment was stiff and dead then. John preached and he came in righteousness. And you ignored him. Even the preaching of judgment, you ignored everything. But the tax collectors or gatherers and the prostitutes, they came to Jesus. They came to John. And the things John was preaching, they were not just sweet words. Listen. And he spoke also about judgment. And the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He preached fire and brimstone. Hell is a reality. And verse 12, And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This preaching was strong preaching. And you saw that the tax collectors, and perhaps you were once also there where you caught this woman in adultery in the very act and sitting around her and condemning her. And you have heard that I forgave them the, her sin and she went home in peace. You have seen all these things. You have seen the story about Zacchaeus. You have seen the story about Matthew. And all these things. But you did not change your mind. You didn't feel remorse. Perhaps saying, oh, we have to serve God as well. We need to be baptized and repent of our sins. No, no, no. You were hard in your heart. That's why these tax gatherers and prostitutes are the first in the kingdom of God. I don't hear any hallelujah, praise the Lord. Are you dead as well? Who was the first in paradise? Tell me. Was it one of the Pharisees? A thief on the cross. And Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. I tell you something. Heaven is going to be populated by evil sinners who have been converted and have repented of their sins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And all these things have been gone away. But a little story I want to conclude. It was in the 70s and the last century. The nominal churches wallowed in the mud of existential and liberal theology combined with Bible critics. There was in a 70s. Anybody remembers the 70s? You were a young man then, David. You remember. I remember the 70s. Anybody else? Yes? We remember this time. And the churches were dead. 
by preaching perhaps and teaching of Boltmann and all these liberal theologians. Shame on them. I must say, shame on us Germans. God used a man, Dr. Martin Luther, to give the Bible to the German-speaking people. And Satan used liberal theologians to take the Bible away and say, well, this is the right. Isn't it horrible? Very horrible. There was a time then, and in England it was not better. The God is dead preaching went around the churches. You know, God is dead. That comes from Friedrich Nietzsche. He said, God is dead. We have killed him. Somebody wrote this somewhere in, in uh, New York in the subway station. God is dead. Nietzsche somebody else came and wrote underneath, Nietzsche is that in bracket God. Now, who is right? Who is right? God is alive! Hallelujah! That was the, the spiritual climate in the 70s. I remember that. I remember that. If you think it's hard now to preach the gospel on the streets, it was hard then too. The devil hasn't changed. He's still there. And what was that? The churches were empty. And from England came four guys. And they had a guitar and things like that, and a drum set. And they called themselves Beatles. Anybody heard about the Beatles? The Beatles came and tore the young people into the into the mud of a hippie life and took them and dragged them into the drugs and Eastern religions. The hippies came on the scene. Anybody knows them? I was not a hippie. I was not a hippie. Praise the Lord. I was then already a child of God. And they, these hippies, in those days, filled the places. Young people turned away from God. And they never had really experienced the Lord. And many, many followed these things. I've heard here in Australia, even some Christians, they went to the, to the Beatles concert. Did you go there? Is it really so? Did you? Do you know somebody then who went to the Beatles concert? Christian, I mean. Never ever go to places like this. You are glorifying the demon and you are glorifying the devil. You belong into the house of God under the sound of the word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. I couldn't understand it. And some girls in that age, they almost got a fit. I vibrated, you know. Oh, the Beatles. What was this guy's name, you know? That was, yeah. Lennon, yeah. He looked at me and he blinked at me. And the young girls, they, they almost uh, uh, unconscious, fainted. There was a climate then. But praise God. God always has people who are prepared to preach the gospel. At the same time and around this time, there was a pastor somewhere in Anaheim, California. His name was Chuck Smith. Anybody heard about Chuck Smith? How he was then a young man. And he went and preached to the hippies. The hippies had their slogan. And there was also, when the hippies came, the sexual revolution. There was no things anymore. 
no taboos. And they had this slogan, make love and not war. And all these things came. That was the situation. In that time, God used this man, Chuck Smith. He preached the gospel to these young people. They realized that where they have been let into by the Beatles was nothing else but a pitfall. They went into it. But then they heard the gospel. And I remember a newspaper or a little booklet was issued in Germany then. Many, many thousands of young people came to the Lord Jesus and got baptized in the Pacific Ocean. And I saw this picture then. I was a young pastor too then. I saw these things. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We had then in Germany almost a, a whole city of drug addicts. I think it was over 50,000 or so. Drug addicts. For no good use for the nation any longer. But there was the Word of God. The churches were empty. The churches were dead. But there was new life. And when I was there, we visited this church, this Bible. Look at it. It's falling apart. This Bible in 1981 I bought there in Anaheim, California. Hallelujah. And Chuck Smith, he didn't have any program in that regard to entertain young people. No. We asked him because we German pastors, we wanted to know how come that on a Sunday morning, two, three, four thousand people, young people mainly, go to church. You can have it if you play Hillsong music and all that stuff, you know, and rock music. You can have it. But none of this. We ask you, what do you preach on Sunday morning? Oh, what do you preach? He say, I go through the Bible, verse by verse, Bible teaching. And these ex-hippies were... Hungry of the Word of God. And these people got saved. And many, many Calvary chapels have come up all over America. Even here in Australia. And even in Germany. Benny is going to one of their church. Yes, yes, I've been there. Yes. Hallelujah. That's what God can do. Amen. Don't think. Don't think it's all over. No, it's not. God still has a way. And may God do it again. Let's pray that God might do it again and again. That young people might get saved out of the whole sinful situation. Hallelujah. You saw it, Jesus said. You saw it. When the tax collectors and the prostitutes, when they came and repented and believed John, instead that you might have gotten envious. No, they just stayed cold. They were cold. Cool. Jesus expected at least that they would have repented or repented of their sins. I mean these Pharisees. The yes sayer and not doer. But the no sayer became the yes doer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm so amazed about the power of your Holy Spirit and your word. I'm amazed, O oh Lord, 
those people who were disregarded and rejected by the religious establishment, these are the ones you saved. Hallelujah. Lord, help me not to be a just yes-sayer, but also a yes-doer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Next time you know what.